The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm humbled by what has happened and I renew my wholehearted apology for the gathering in the cabinet room on the 19th of June 2020. I can't say whether he'll be prime minister going into 2023, but I don't think that he will lead the party into the next general election. Why does the prime minister think everybody else's actions have consequences except his own? You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Stephen Carroll. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepger. On today's programme, we're going to speak to the Conservative MP Jake Berry as controversy continues over the resignation of the Deputy Chief Whip Chris Pincher. How serious is the damage to Boris Johnson's leadership? And we'll be talking to Emma Reynolds from the financial industry group The City UK ahead of Rishi Sunak's Mansion House speech later this month. Will the Chancellor usher in a new boom for the city with the Financial Services and Markets Bill? But first, the Prime Minister's spokesman says that Boris Johnson was aware of media reports and speculation about the MP Chris Pincher's alleged sexual misconduct, but promoted him to Deputy Chief Whip anyway, as no formal complaint had been made against him. Johnson suspended Pincher from the Conservative Party after fresh allegations on Friday. Labour's Emily Thornbury says there are conflicting signals coming from Downing Street. They tell us different things on different days, that's the problem. And as time goes on, the truth starts to come out. And now we have a civil servant who's furious about the way in which they have been telling lies. So, Emily Thornbury there. Well, this latest scandal adds to the pressure on the Prime Minister, no doubt, who only recently survived a bruising confidence vote of his own MPs. Meanwhile, Keir Starmer has finally said the dreaded B word, Brexit. We've got to make Brexit work. Um, And that means going forwards are not backwards. So there's no case for reopening all those divisions, no case for going back in the single market, the customs union or freedom of movement. That would be to go backwards. We need to go forwards with a better deal that unblocks the blockages that are there, allows us to trade more successfully and grows our economy because um, 12 years of stagnation have led to the economy we've got now with low wages uh, but high prices. Keir Starmer was speaking to the Centre for European Reform think tank on Monday evening, the Labour leader leader vowing to sort out what he called Johnson's poor deal. Starmer said that Labour would remove EU trade barriers and resolve issues over Northern Ireland, but that a Labour government wouldn't take the UK back into the EU's customs union or single market. Brexit has been a thorny issue for Labour since the 2016 referendum, with supporters divided over staying in or leaving the EU. And just lastly, the government plans to force owners of social media and search apps to curb what it describes as state-linked disinformation or face fines. The government says that owners of platforms where people can post their own content will have a legal duty to curtail messages backed by foreign countries. The regulator, Ofcom, could impose fines of up to 10% of the company's annual global sales under the forthcoming online safety bill. Well, let's discuss the day's big issues now with our first guest, Jake Berry, Conservative MP for Rossendale and Darwin in Lancashire. Thank you very much for being with us, Jake. Um, Let's talk then about the events surrounding Chris Pincher. 
Was Boris Johnson right to give him that job if he knew that there were issues uh, issues around misconduct? Well, I, I mean, I can't get into the Prime Minister's mindset. I'm, I'm a backbench MP. I'm not responsible for appointing ministers. But what I would say is this. I think we've got to be really careful how we deal with this issue. It needs to be dealt with sensitivity because I think this sort of this trial by media, and I know you guys have got your job to do, I think this trial by media, we're sort of losing sight of the victims in this process. And I think it's very, very difficult for those victims to see this process going on in the media. There is, of course, a formal process, which is now in full flow, both in Parliament and potentially with the police. And I think actually giving a bit of space for that process to happen and, and just having in our minds when we're talking about this, the victims here, I think is much more important than the sort of he said, she said of party politics. Okay, but the reason that this is happening is that the system for dealing with victims is clearly so poor. I mean, if there were, um, you know, concerns around uh, misconduct and somebody was still able to get into a much more senior position, that is why there is such a great deal of concern. And the concern is around an ingrained pattern of sexual misconduct by Conservative MPs that is dealt with internally in-house. Yeah, I think that's a really valid point. And of course, this isn't something that just affects the Conservative Party. You've seen conserv- uh, the SNP former uh, Chief Whip just uh, be suspended from Parliament recently in relation to similar allegations. I think it's really deeply concerning that we have people working both in Parliament and in the civil service who feel that there isn't a proper process in place. We have previously attempted, when Andrea Ledson was leader of the House, to put a new process in place. I think this is one of the first times that it will have being used, I think we really need to ask ourselves questions about what it is about this workplace environment that makes people like, you know, who've been subject to criminal acts, allegedly, um, to feel that they can't come forward and, uh, and, and make their case. And like, you know, I've got I've got three young kids, and yeah, I mean, they're all very, my, they're very young, my kids. But you know, when they got a bit older, um, if they were going to come and work in Parliament for any reason, I'd, I'd want to know as a parent that it was a safe space for them to come to work. And I don't think we can say that at the moment. There is now an awful lot of focus about what Boris Johnson knew and when, and that is damaging to him. We're looking at 1922 committee elections next week. Do you think that there could be another confidence vote on the cards if the rules are changed? No, I mean, that, that's, that's, I don't know who's going to be elected. We don't yet know who's um, being put up, but clearly there are people who are standing on a ticket saying that they want to change the rules. I personally won't be supporting them. I think how, you know, enabling prime ministers to have a 12-month hiatus in which they can get back to the main business of governing this country, delivering on our election promises and not being a sort of, you know, perma leadership election is the right thing to do. So those people who come out who are standing on that ticket of we want to change the rules, they're not people I'll be supporting. Okay, but the pressure on Boris Johnson is surely enormous. I mean, this is scandal after scandal. There have been two by-elections for the Conservatives because of very serious sexual misconduct allegations. This is yet another. I mean, these are serious challenges to Boris Johnson's leadership. He scraped through um, a, a confidence vote. He surely is not going to be taking the Conservatives through to the next general election. Look, my, my view is that he absolutely can, can and should take us through to the next election. I, put, I don't think, you know, as, as terrible as these allegations are, and I share the concern that people rightly have about whether Parliament or, or the civil service is a safe place to 
the work, like, just like any workplace. Like no one should feel that they're going to be subject to, uh, you know, harassment of, of any kind or discrimination of any kind in any workplace. Parliament shouldn't be, uh, you know, sort of place out on its own. I, I think that actually when I talk to my constituents in, in Lancashire and in Rosendale and Darwin, what they really want us to be focused on is what we were elected to do, which is change the life chances of people through this levelling up agenda in, in Lancashire and beyond. And, and, you know, people want us to focus on so that. So, Jake, you have view. no Prime doubt Minister, about the judgment the of the Prime Minister, Minister in appointing this individual who there were clearly allegations of misconduct with him before that you have no issues with the no, judgment of the Prime I, Minister of I, elevating him to the position. I, I don't know what the allegations are, but I've been really clear, haven't I? There is a process... I think the right thing to do, which may involve criminal sanctions, I think rather than this sort of running commentary on it, which I think does a disservice to the victims, actually, which is my main concern, it is right to let that process, uh, you know, that, when pr- that process looking play at out. then the issue of cost of living, which you say is more important to people that you speak to than what's happening to Boris Johnson. What should the should the government be doing more than they have already? We're talking about a new fuel price record. Go slow protests on motorways. Does the government need to slash VAT on fuel? Well, the government absolutely needs to do more. Uh, look, let's let's give credit where credit's due. Thirty billion pound plus is not a small amount of money, and I know my constituents and people up and down this country will be you know grateful for the four hundred pound. Um, money off their fuel, they'll be grateful for up to £1,200 for people on lower incomes. But I, th- I think the government does have to do more, and I think the only place the government can go next is tax cuts. I filled my uh, wife's car full of diesel at the weekend. It was over £100 to fill the tank. You know, She'll be doing that once a week um, because she has to go to work and get the kids around. That is unsustainable. And it is now time, I think, for the government to get back to its main job of putting money back in people's pockets. And the only way the government can do that, in my view, Mm. is by cutting taxes. And that's why I hope that we will hear from the government very shortly about a VAT cut, a fuel duty cut, whatever it may be. But unless we bring those prices down at the pumps, it's going to cripple our economy. Okay, so in favour of a VAT tax cut then. The Resolution Foundation warned on Monday that the poorest families in the UK are vulnerable to this cost of living crunch because of two decades of income stagnation. Um, they they blamed it effectively in large part on the basic unemployment support being so low, um, benefits being so low that they've fallen 13% uh, to 13% of average pay. So basically a record low. Was it a mistake to pull back the £20 per week uplift for benefits? Well, uh, my view is that you know, if we knew, knew then what we knew now, we probably would have kept it in place. So you can't mm. know what you don't know. But um, there's clearly an issue, isn't there, with the individual inflation. So while we say inflation is 9 10 or 11%, whatever it may be, that is different for different people. And those on the lowest income feel the biggest you know, price rises because their shopping and their fuel, whether that be in their vehicle or, or at home, takes up a bigger proportion of their income. So, you know, doing something on, on VAT, on fuel, is something absolutely that I think is the right thing to do. In fact, the poorest families in this country pay the largest proportion of their income in VAT. So if we cut that, in my view, preferably across the board, it gives the biggest break in terms of incomes to people on lower wages. And that's why, as a Conservative, I think what we should be doing is enabling people to keep more of their own money in the first place to help deal with some of these costs that are being hit by. 
briefly, if you would, we're looking at more strikes. Royal Mail, the latest on the list of, you know, big companies that are going on strike. Should the government be intervening? Well, you know, each one is different, isn't it? But I do think there is always a role for the government to be a sort of fair broker and knock people's heads together. The Royal Mail is a private company. Uh, to a large extent owned by its workforce, so it's for the company to set its own terms and conditions. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. And now, let's turn our attention to the issues facing the financial sector here in London. Joining us now is Emma Reynolds, who's Managing Director of Public Affairs, Policy and Research at the industry group, The City UK, also a former Labour MP. Emma, welcome to the programme. Thank you so much uh, for being with us. Now, recently, The City UK... Good morning. Recently, The City UK hosted uh, the... uh, Uh, Treasury Minister John Glenn, uh, the Economy Secretary, thank you so much uh, for telling us a little bit more about it. We're looking at this very, very tight labour market in the UK at the moment. How are employers in the financial services uh, being affected and sort of bearing up to this? Well, the financial and related professional services industry um, is you know, uh, experiencing the same pressures that the, the rest of the economy is. But I would say I think it's particularly acute for us because um, financial services is all about ideas and talent and, and, and you know, global innovation. So actually we need access to talent. And the, one of the things that we've done in recent years, because we knew this would be an issue uh, and continues to be an issue, is we set up the Financial Services Skills Commission, which is looking at how we uh, attract talent that's already in the UK, uh, and make sure um, you know new talent coming up isn't going to other industries. Uh, and you know more and more, the younger population is looking at flexibility and a sense of purpose. I think COVID has changed the equation for a lot of people. Um, and we know that a lot of uh, people in their 50s have left the market, so it, it is a tight market. And then we're also doing some work around how we can ensure uh, that financial and related professional services firms upskill and reskill. Uh, their current workforce and that can actually save them a great deal uh, of money and then thirdly uh, one of the things that obviously is politically more sensitive is the immigration system and the access Mm. to international talent which is absolutely key for our industry because there are um, skills out there 
uh, that we that we can't cater for domestically that we will need to bring in whether it's sometimes it's on a short-term basis uh, very often it's on a short-term basis knowledge of different markets around the world uh, our industry is truly global so we'll need we need to do that and we've been doing some work uh, with the um, government and uh, trying to ensure that the frictions that we see for visas are brought down and the costs uh, and also looking at a sponsorship route for short-term mobility so intercompany transferees um, mm. actually not having to have a visa uh, for periods of up to sort of uh, six to 12 months. Okay, we'll come back to the, the visa issue for a second. I'm interested in, as you described, the, the lengths that employers are going to to attract new workers. Is that pushing up pay and, and by how much? Well, I don't know the answer to that. I think that will be uh, dependent on the firm, dependent on the sector of the industry, because financial services and related professional services is a whole ecosystem that that we're working um, uh, with. Um, But obviously, people will be looking uh, at their pay. They will be looking at inflation. Uh, We know there's a lot of movement uh, between firms. Um, That's a sort of factor of the economy overall. Um, so actually, uh, you know, you, you talk to HR people in firms or even in our own uh, in, uh, business and it, it's sort of a candidate's market out there. So they do have a bit of bidding power. Um, so, yes, I think that there will be pressure uh, on on wages. Of course, there will, uh, because people's cost of living has gone up, uh, skyrocketed and it is about to get even worse uh, come the autumn. Yeah. So that on employment, on hiring, on wages, but the main focus really for the city is the fact that the City of London is largely isolated, cut off from the EU post-Brexit, and the government is having to come up with some plans to support this industry that is a major taxpayer and a huge employer. Um, one of those is is the bit of legislation that's coming to reform insurance and capital markets. Is the government, in your view, actually listening now? I mean, during the Brexit process, uh, you know, most observers sort of uh, came away with the conclusion that the government had other priorities and it really wasn't the financial services sector. Yes, indeed. Well, I just say, I know everybody likes to say the City of London, but 2.2 million people are employed in our industry across the whole um, ecosystem. And actually mm. two thirds of them are based outside of London. London is absolutely crucial to that because it underpins the jobs that you see in other uh, financial centres around the country in Birmingham, Leeds, Manchester, uh, Glasgow, Edinburgh. But I just wanted to make that point from the outset. Is the government listening? I think the government uh, is listening. And John Glenn is a fantastic economic secretary to the Treasurer, uh, Treasury, the longest serving uh, four and a half years. Uh, I think some of the others didn't, you know, didn't survive in post that long. It's great to have him there uh, in post. And they have done extensive consultation with our industry since the end of the transition period. And so we are looking at what we need to do, I think, and what the government needs to make sure it does. And I'm looking forward to seeing the new financial services and markets bill, which we're expecting in a couple of weeks, is for for us to to really exploit the agility and nimbleness that we now have. Because when we were in the EU, we had to agree all these rules and regulations with 27 other member states. Now we're just one country regulating for the UK market. So the government has an opportunity to tailor its regulation for our industry. But and this opportunity, specific- I'm sorry to interrupt you, Emma, but I'm sure. going to cut to the chase, which is that this opportunity has been known for some years. The question remains, how? Well, there are all sorts of things that the government can do and is doing. It's reviewing a number of 
key pieces of legislation. But without going into the details of that, one thing that I think uh, we need to do and the government is looking to do with this bill is to introduce a new statutory objective of international competitiveness and economic growth for our regulators. Uh, because we are in a competitive environment. You've talked about us no longer being a gateway to the European Union. That's absolutely the case. That's the consequence of Brexit. But actually, the competitive headwinds are coming from the US and financial centres uh, further east as well in Asia and elsewhere. Um, so competitiveness is our key focus and access to talent and the right regulation when you talk to our um, financial services firms, they are two key issues that we've got to get right in order to remain competitive. We're confident, but we're not complacent about this. And we'd like to be on the top spot again. New York is now the leading uh, international financial centre. Uh, we'd like London and the UK to become number one again. And we set out a strategy as to how to do that. And one of the things we need to do is be at the cutting edge of these new growth industries of fintech, uh, and the the uh, the whole agenda around ESG and green, uh, we need to be at, at, really at the cutting edge of those in, at those new growth areas. There are also there's an importance too that relations with the EU remain good because there are equivalence deals, although not very many of them, that do affect financial services and and hang kind of quite a delicate balance uh, for your industry. And I, I'm wondering how you, do you worry when you see things blowing up over the Northern Ireland Protocol, for example, that that could actually end up having a backfire effect on financial services? Well, we've already seen that, seen that happen. We um Alongside the trade and cooperation agreement, which was agreed between the UK and the EU, there was a commitment to negotiate a memorandum of understanding on financial services, which was essentially to set up a regular dialogue between uh, the Treasury here and its equivalent in the European Commission. Now, the technical negotiations for that went well, but it hit a political roadblock. And obviously, the Northern Ireland Protocol is the main part of that. So until we until the uh, politicians um, sort that out, uh, that has been blocked. And I know that other things are blocked for other industries. When it comes to equivalence, um, we are not expecting the EU to grant further equivalence, but we are glad that we have this clearing equivalence, which I think, frankly, is good for the EU and good for the UK. Um, but I wanted to say that you know, financial services firms did a great job and spent a lot of money and a lot of time preparing for the end of the transition. And now also getting around mm. the fact that we haven't got equivalents in many areas and we're not expecting it, to be frank. Um, Emma, we uh, have talked a lot, we're thinking a lot, of course, about the war in Ukraine, about um, re the relations, Western relations with Russia, with China. When I hear the word competitiveness, there is a concern, surely, that that competitiveness clashes with national security priorities for Britain and with issues that London undoubtedly has with money laundering and um, you know issues of dirty money from Russia and influence for example from China is that how do you think about that well financial services firms have been on the front line uh, when it comes to implementing sanctions uh, and you know absolutely right and we you know we we are not complaining about that by the way um, we totally understand um, and join with the government in condemning uh, the illegal invasion of uh, Ukraine by Russia um, and have um, put a lot of work into 
applying and, and with the sanctions. And that sounds like an easy thing to do. It isn't. You've got to apply for licenses. You've got to do all sorts of things uh, and get th those things right and make sure that the money then doesn't get transferred into the wrong hands in Russia, by the way, so we don't end up enriching the regime there. Um, so I don't think what we've just been talking about is in contradiction to that effort. Um, but I do think one of the things that we are fearful of is that there's some kind of contagion effect from Russia. I think the industry absolutely understands that in the, this circumstance, uh, economic sanctions were um, rightly imposed and were wide reaching. But we don't want to see um, a contagion to other markets because our industry is global and it can only operate if we have free and open global markets and as free as possible, frankly, and as open as possible. And the UK has always been a champion of open uh, global markets. And I hope that we continue to be that champion and that we don't see um, a sort of there's all sorts of phrases that people talk about, but essentially a fragmentation and breakdown uh, of global markets, because that wouldn't be in anyone's interest. And that's not just from a firm's perspective, by the way, that's from an investor and customer perspective, because actually you need uh, competition to have better products uh, and to bring costs down. Bloomberg Westminster, listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.